thankful hearts raised to God. And in that hymn of praise, we started each of those lines saying, We praise you, O God. We worship you, God of our fathers. And with voices united, our praises we offer. Can I have the screen, Sharon? Thank you. Dear friends in Christ, during the past weeks we have been built up in our faith as we have looked and shared the Red Sea rules, ten specific ways of acknowledging our God for who he is and for what he has done and continues to do for us. Let's review those important points right now. First of all, realize that God means for you to be where you are. Remember starting off that way? That's important because God's got a a place for us, every place. Secondly, be more concerned for God's glory and for your relief. Third, it was acknowledge your enemy, but keep your eyes focused on the Lord. Fourth, one word, a very important word. Pray. Fifth, stay calm and confident and give God time to work. He knows what he's doing. When unsure, just take the next logical step by faith. Seven, envision God's enveloping presence, that he's always there. Eight, trust God to deliver in his own unique way. Ninth, view your current crisis as a faith builder for the future. How many times do we not look at it that way? And finally, don't forget to praise him. You know, we know that we face storms in life, and uh, we're not alone. In fact, God's people throughout history have never been alone, from their almighty creator and victorious savior in Jesus Christ. And... You know, we look at today. How are we handling things today compared to those Israelites back in uh, the times of the Red Sea? Well, there's an old Greek proverb that says, the bow that is always, uh, that is always bent will soon break. And what that proverb seems to be saying, that a, a bow that is always under pressure, that really doesn't have an opportunity to release or let go, will soon break into pieces. And if there was a proverb that fits the time that we live in right now, I think this is it. Many people like that bow are strung out. They're full of tension or turmoil or fear or even frustration. And if one more thing enters their life, well, they'll snap. You know, if I had to choose one word to summarize how people are feeling during these months of 2020, it would be the word worried. People are worried today. Many of you have concerns that you brought when you came here on your mind. Some of you are perhaps wondering about finances. Or it might even be unemployment, potentially. Who isn't concerned about this pandemic that has done to so many million lives in this country alone, what it has done to us. Some of you, you parents, you're worried about your children. And some of you children, especially adult children, you know, you're concerned about your parents. 
Many people are living their lives as if they're in a haunted house. You know, every step is one of caution or concern or worry. And you ask yourself, you know, can I handle, you know, what's just around the corner? Well, if you've never worried, don't worry. You will. You see, worry has a way of coming into our lives in inopportune and really uh, inconvenient times, perhaps. You know, one worry grabs us, and when it does, well, it, it robs us of the joy of living. Instead of overcoming worry, we become overwhelmed by it. That's worry. It's really a fierce foe. And the question is, you know, how can you and I be able to handle worry when it comes our way? It's not if, it's when. You know, God has a lot to say about anxiety and worry and stress. There's no testament formula that we spoke earlier that God has given to us in how to deal with our worries. That's Psalm 95. It's known as a praise or worship psalm. Now, this psalm was sung during the time of the Feast of the Tabernacles, and that's when the children of God would give God the glory and praise that he deserves for the ways he had provided for them. And this psalm is broken down into two calls for worship, how to worship him and why. The first is in those first five verses, and then the second call is verses 6 and 7. The psalmist clearly tells us that when we focus on the greatness of God, that we will worship instead of worrying. Our focus is really determining how we handle the the issues and problems that enter into our lives. The psalmist says that in order to deal with worry effectively, we must have a proper focus. And how is that? It's through worship. The psalmist gives us two reasons why we should worship and not worry. And the first is in the verses 1 through 5. Notice how the Israelites worshipped God. They came before him with really unashamed enthusiasm. They proclaimed him as the rescuer and redeemer of his people. In verse 1, it talks about making a joyful noise to God. And then in verse 2, it's with songs of praise. Now, the words make a joyful noise literally mean come before God with a ringing shout. Well, when you come to church, you don't need to do cartwheels down the middle of the aisle here to get that excited. Uh, you don't have to give each other high fives. And you know, during these times, we don't do that anyway, right? Well, worship is a time of anticipation and expectation. We come together because all week God has been watching over us. He's been doing some amazing things in our lives. And worship is a time to celebrate what God has done for us. In verse 3, the psalmist, he gives us even more reasons. The psalmist tells us that the first reason that we should worship and not worry is because God is in control even when we're out of control. In verse 3, he mentions that the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Now, the psalmist is not implying that there are other gods in the world, real ones. But he brings out the fact that if if we're not careful, our problems can become our gods. We can get so focused on our problems 
that they'll rule our minds, our actions, and our hearts, our attitudes even. But when we see that God is who he truly ought to be seen as, well then everything else really takes its proper place. Verse 4 says that in his hand are the depths of the earth. The deep places there, the heights are in God's hands. God knows the heights that no person could ever climb to. And God knows the depths that no person could ever dig into either. God knows every facet of his creation. And God also knows your issues. He knows the height and the depth and the width of them. Nothing that you bring to God is ever going to take him by surprise. He not only knows them, but he knows how to deal with them. The words, a great king above all God, all gods, that leads us to verse 5. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And I'd like you to notice the word made. It's an interesting word picture behind it. It's like a potter who takes a piece of clay and throws it on the wheel and starts spinning around and he molds it as he desires. Well, the psalmist is saying that God did this with the universe. He took it and molded it and made it as he desires. Now, if God is so great that he put the universe and this world together, and he holds it together even today, let me ask you then, why do people focus on their problems more than they focus on God? Yes, problems are real. They're painful. They hurt. They're not fun. But the reason that we need to focus on the greatness of God is to remind ourselves that we're not in it alone. We have the resources that help us through the issues that we face. And that's why the psalmist here says that we should worship and not worry because God's in control even when we're not. But there's a second reason. In verses 1 through 5, we saw the God who's over the universe He's not only here, he's way out there, and he's infinitely powerful. Well, in the second call to worship, in verses 6 and 7, the psalmist narrows it down, and he shows us a God who is intimately personal as well. The second reason that we should worship and not worry is because we are the sheep of the great shepherd. We have a very special relationship with him. Verse 6 says, Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. That's the same Hebrew word form that I mentioned about back in verse 5, that word made. And just as God had meticulously put together the universe and creation, so God specifically put you and me together too. Do you know that there's more than 107 million cells in each of our eyes that enables us to see? There's more than 60,000 miles of arteries that run through our bodies. There's more than 10,000 taste buds on our tongues and being created constantly. You've got more than 200 bones that make up that frame that God had created in you. And there's over 600 muscles that cover those bones. You and I, we're a very special creation of God. We know that God never leaves the crown of his creation alone to defend themselves. 
He's always there to take care of them. And in verse 7, the psalmist says there's two ways that God takes care of us. And first, he calls us the people of his pasture. Now, a pasture, even as we know in Psalm 23, it's a symbolism of provision. In other words, God will provide for his people just as a shepherd provides for his sheep out in the fields and leads them to grass and to water. He will lead us to where our needs can be met. And secondly, we're the sheep of his hand. My chosen confirmation verse reminds me of those words of Jesus that I was given back in the eighth grade. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me, and I will give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. When we need guidance, God will direct us with his hand. And when we need protection, he will shield us with his hand. We know that we don't need to be intimidated when problems come our way. Because God is in control when we're not in control. And that gives us all the more reason to give him thanks and to worship him. You know, even our nation has a special day set aside to give thanks, as we're going to celebrate several days from now. You have to wonder how it is that the early Christians, the colonists, how their premier religious holiday has now evolved where you know, so many people have turned it into a celebration of focusing more on feasting and football instead. Through most of our history, Thanksgiving has been the one truly American sacred holiday, a day of worship that crossed denominational borders. But today, apart from a, perhaps a quick prayer before the turkey is carved, it seems that fewer and fewer people are interested in spending any part of the day in prayerful expression of gratitude for the blessings of life. Across the country, there's a diminishing number of religious pilgrims who are making the journey to church to sing to the Lord and make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. More and more, it seems that the sense of gratitude is fading from our church and our culture. And back in the 17th century, for the New England Puritans, Thanksgiving was the main holiday of the year. It was a day of going to church and prayer. And up until about 50 years ago, interdenominational Thanksgiving services still drew good crowds together. There was a sense that people of many backgrounds could be united and be able to come together and express thanks for God that we all share together. Sure, there are still some community Thanksgiving gatherings going on across the country, and some are quite popular, but such services are more the exception than they are the rule today. Giving thanks has been one of the great pillars of a worship service. We did it here even today. And as we looked at God's creative power here in Psalm 95, is there any better way than to express our praise and thanks? And yet it seems that when people come today to church, they have a, a different set of expectations. 
Instead of seeking out opportunities to express gratitude, even many new Christians are looking for comfort and inspiration or stimulation or community. Now, these things are not bad things in and of themselves, but they may line up more with self-improvement for ourselves more than giving thanks. On the whole, we've really developed a blindness to blessings. We come to see the good things in life that they're an entitlement to us. They're not a gift. We lost the sense of wonder and praise that really gives birth to true thankfulness. John Sandel, a pastoral psychotherapist in Milford, Connecticut, he stated, I think when we recognize that we are being given a gift, we feel joy. And gratitude is the experience that flows from this joy. Unfortunately, we've lost the the sense that each day on earth is a wonderful gift to us. Given the prosperity of modern life, many of us realize that wealth and well-being, that they're a right for us. And we've come a long way from the Mayflower pilgrims who felt that gratitude for just surviving during their times. Well, as we look forward to Thanksgiving Day, we can give thanks. We can give thanks to God for the presence that he has in our everyday life. Not just for those stormy times that we go through, even as we discussed in those Red Sea rules. We have a choice. We can focus on the problem, or we can focus on the problem solver. We can worry or we can worship. We can wrestle with our problems, or we can rest, let go and let God do it because his character is so much greater than ours. God is in control when we are not. There's a story of a man who was watching a father play with his son, and he repeatedly kept throwing him up in the air, and he would catch him just before he would hit the ground. And the child was relaxed and having a great time. And after each time, he'd go, do it again, do it again, Dad. Well, the man who was watching him, you know, he thought, if it was me, I'd be stiff as a board if I was that child. And so he asked the father, you know, can you explain to me why that child is so relaxed, even when he's out of control? Well, it's very simple, the father said. We have history together. We've played this game before. And I've never dropped him. Some of you may feel that you're up in the air, you know, free-falling without a parachute. Some of you may be up in the air and not exactly knowing what's going to happen, where you're going to go next. Well, all I can say to you this morning is, relax. Do your best, knowing that God has never dropped you before. And he's not going to drop you now either. You'll discover that when all you have left is God, God is enough. So come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise to him with shouts of praise. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all of our understanding, Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, who is your Lord and Savior. Amen.